Chris, if you don't mind just leaning into the recorder a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's good. This feels quite cosy. We can have a good <laughs> chat this way. Um, so we were just talking about this really interesting and quite comfortable setup that you had before you, you moved um, back in with your mum. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the previous place? The, yeah, so it was... Um, there was actually an old tutor of mine in my foundation course. Uh, he had this large house uh, and grounds, and uh, I think there was a couple of attic spaces he was renting out, and he also had this building in a garden. I always called it a, a large shed, <laughs> and uh, he gave me like a really good deal on it. Then I rented out another shed to work in, so I had a studio and lived there as well. And lived there for about 20 years. Wow. But... Um, <laughs> I always thought, just towards the end, I thought my uh, career was taking off because I was covering all the. Because there was always this sort of phase where you sort of like go on to unemployment benefit when the work dried up. And you go, yeah, and this interests me because yeah. I don't think many artists speak about that, but I think no. more must be doing that than we know. What do you well, think? No, they, they don't do it now because, because, I mean, I'm when I graduated from university, it was the done thing that you left. And, um, well, we didn't sign on unemployment benefit. You did something called, called the Job Plan Workshop. This oh, is my a, goodness. Yeah. Tell us all about that. Right, so that was in, we're going right back <laughs> to the early 1990s now. Um, basically, it was an initiative started by uh, Margaret Thatcher's government. Wonderful. Um, and it was a way you could... Uh, you got an extra £10 on top of your unemployment benefit money to start a business. And I think oh. it was... Initially, I think it was for a year, or it might have been six months, I can't remember... So a lot of people who were on unemployment benefit would buy a van and then start cleaning business and things like that and make that work. So there was no Yeah, but they, what they quickly found was yeah. that <laughs> it was <laughs> the job plan workshop scheme was inundated with art graduates from art college who were calling themselves artists and that was their business and had no possible possibility of actually making it into a viable business. So did you have business. to create a business plan or...? Could yeah, it be quite a light touch? It was, it was very light touch, yeah. yeah. And you had to go to a few meetings in the, I don't know, probably the job centre or some other local government building, and you could start it up. I think I, yeah. But that's interesting that that was under Thatcher's government. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But I think when they realised it was artists were taking advantage <laughs> of it, <laughs> they changed the rules yeah, around, yeah. Their vans into live art libraries and that yeah. sort of So I think a lot of people, but what I was getting at was that was part of the culture that was yeah. that, you know, you. Um, uh, use the, the state paid for your um, development. I, I, what I always used to call it was uh, it was the working class trust fund. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, the trustafarians. Of, um, trust the, what was it? The workshop. The uh, job plan workshop. Job plan yeah. workshop. I think there's a show in that, don't you? Yeah. Um, anyway, so nowadays, because I teach a lot of students in art college as well, um, those days are gone. You can't. There's, there's a well. Because universal credit doesn't even exactly, cover yeah. basics now, does no, it? No, no, it's like people are living on the street, yeah. Yeah. That's hmm. really interesting. I've spoken to some people who are also sort of around doing art in the 80s, and they, yeah. they felt the same thing, that essentially if you went to drama school, you joined a queue when you finished, the yeah. doll queue, <laughs> and you came out the other end feeling, you know, poor but relatively okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that was but, the culture. Okay, yeah. so obviously your career, you have, you know, you produce quite a few shows and, <laughs> and other projects and sort of object-based art. Yeah, so my, my background, so I studied uh, sculpture, I made things, um, but then 
about ten years ago, I sort of indirectly ended up into performing. Um, essentially, what I was doing was quite often one of the things you do is, uh, as an artist, you get invited into different art colleges to do a slide talk about your work. And normally, visual artists are quite shy and don't really like that kind of pressure. Uh, and I discovered that I absolutely loved the attention, so I kind of like did a, you know. Uh, worked on my presentation until the point where I actually um, went up to Edin to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival to do what was essentially my arts college slide talk. Uh, and is this All Roads Lead to Rome? Was no, this was one before then. I've done a, I did a couple before then. Um, All Roads Lead to Rome was quite unusual in that. Um, so the previous ones were just basically me talking about things that I had made, whereas All Roads Lead to Rome was. The, the outcome was just a talk about it, so yeah. it, was, it was about. And this is really interesting because it's like a stream of, it's another stream of income, isn't it? Sort of going into art colleges and. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he, but that's not. I mean, I was, that's why I'm in London at the moment because I was, um, did a lecture for uh, some art students yesterday in Kingston. But it's, you know, it, I don't think the money's changed in about 20 years. <laughs> I mean, I do it because I, I, quite, I, I quite like it. It's kind of like, you know, I, I always sort of think I'm going to sort of develop another show. So it's quite good for me. I kind of like going and talk to students. It's a way of sort of trying out new material in a way. So that's what I was doing yesterday. But financially, once you've sort of paid your travel to get there, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been down here a couple of days. It's like... There's not a way of making money. <laughs> so, do you get the feeling that art students now have a very different plan then? Their oh, plan goodness, isn't so yeah. much to sign on after they. Yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's a very different world. Because to start with, it was. So, obviously, when I was a student, we had a proper maintenance grant. You know, and if you're doing art, especially for me, it was. We were making sculpture. This is reminded me of a tutorial I had yesterday with a student. It was basically you, a lot of uh, research and development, as far as sculpture goes, is you get a load of materials and you play with it. It's, uh, it's play. And I'm, I imagine it's got, there's a crossover there between performing as well. It's about playing about, because yeah. that's where you know, your mind's free and you kind of develop yeah. ideas. That's, um, and that's what we used to do, yeah, play about. That was our job, was to do serious playing about. But now it's quite difficult to sort of say to a student, oh, well, you need to play with that idea or play with those materials. And they're going, well, this is costing me nine grand a year. And yeah. you sort of think, yeah, And no, when they're coming out, I guess, are they then taking full-time jobs? Or yeah, are they yeah. just staying at home? This is the question. And this is what I'm particularly no. interested in. I get the feeling that there's a whole generation of artists who know that they have to stay at home in order mm. to make things work and to be prolific. Yeah. Um, do you think there's a relationship between um, being at home or living with people you're very close to, like your ex-tutor, and sort of emotional stability and stability in your creation, in your creative work? Yeah, well, for me, yes. I mean, my friend... My friend, uh, I was just living on a boat actually. I stayed with her last night. She's um, she's teaching to pay the bills and then doing the art in her free time. And her living on a boat is quite cramped. Um, I think her life's quite chaotic, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I also think she probably thrives on that. Personally, I, I don't. Um, so maybe it depends on the personality then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in my situation, a lot of the work I do. 
was sort of like, you know, when you asked me about, I'd make things out of domestic appliances, and a lot of that is to do with, you know, the personal history behind these domestic appliances. I've spent ages in the loft finding things from the past, from my childhood, and then a piece of work will develop from that, that kind of, um, I suppose, sort of nostalgia for this object. But um, that's quite easy to do when you live somewhere else, come back for a few days, and sort of like you've got the liberty to kind of, you know, excavate your past what I have discovered is now actually living there you know yeah because you've it, just moved back I just moved back in with my mother yeah. in the house that I grew up in and it's uh, actually quite overwhelming it's not it's, you haven't got the distance <laughs> the distance is really useful okay, so this separation between spaces can be very helpful then yeah the creation yeah, yeah. space the living space yeah. the decompression space but I'm sure it's very fruitful in terms of bringing up all those emotions and the history, but challenging. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's true of a lot of things. I mean, you, um, I went to art college in Hull, and uh, about five years ago, I had to write a book about this um, things I did at art college in Hull. Uh, my girlfriend's uh, Brazilian, and she took me to Brazil, and I found that the best way to write about Hull was sitting in this idyllic landscape in Brazil, uh, in flip-flops and shorts in the sun, going, when I was in Hull. <laughs> <laughs> and it was raining. Yeah, and I actually felt really, I missed Hull. I kind of hated Brazil. <laughs> but it's interesting yeah. that we, um, we need contrast and we need variety, and yes. our spaces need to reflect those options. Yeah, I think yeah. certainly myself, I have a workspace in my studio flat, mm. and you know, a living space and a space for the rest of it. Mm. Um, and moving around to do different things is important. Yeah. Um, so I have a shed. Basically, that's my my uh, at the moment my my uh, uh, space at the moment. My dad had a, dad built a shed before I was born, and uh, it's still at the bottom of the garden, riddled with woodworm. And I, managed, I hadn't touched it. He died about 20 years ago. And um, what I did over the summer was, uh, for the first time, actually tidied it up. It's actually tidier now than it ever was in my entire life because it was always full of his... He never used that space very well. It's like he preempted the legacy that you would yeah, need when he, when I don't he know. My, my brother, he, he always... I mean, it's, it's not a big shed. It's a garden shed. But my brother always he described it. He said, yeah, he said... I, said, I can't actually remember Dad ever working in there. And he went, no, he always worked it on the lawn in the garden somewhere. And he just used to chuck things. He said he used to use it like a garden cupboard. <laughs> it was kind of just put things in it. So, you know, I've cleared that. And it's just really good to be at the other end of the garden. I mean, this isn't a big house. This is like a ex-council three-bedroom house with like an average-sized garden. And it's just, yeah, it's quite useful to get down the end of the garden, shut the door and get away from my mum, really. And what about this thing of... I'm always fascinated by how artists can sometimes feel infantilized or like they're children in the world because we have to play. Yeah. We have to play, but we're also reliant on the system to an extent. Yeah. But not quite fully accepted by it in some way. No, well, our job is to be voyeurs, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing for me, we're one of the. I mean, it's probably we're going off the subject a bit, but when I was in the Antarctic, one of the things about... Oh, when you were in the Antarctic? Yeah, sorry, I did that. Yeah, that time we that. haven't spoken of oh, yet. Oh, yeah. I did, a, <laughs> I did an artist residency with British Antarctic Survey. Fantastic. 
Um, I was very lucky. I wasn't. I didn't take it in my stride. I know I sort of said drop that casually in the conversation. I have to admit, I was punching above my weight when I got that residency, <laughs> and um, and I've been dining off of it ever since. Um, but the interesting thing there was, you know, in Antarctica, it's all about teamwork. Everyone has to pull together. Everyone has to unload the ship. And um, being an artist, it was kind of. I thought, well, that's my job is to look at you doing doing that hard work and take photographs of it. And they went, no, you've got to help us. <laughs> so to you, fully experience and embody what they were doing. No, just so because everyone has to, has to pull their in. weight. Yeah, <laughs> and it was kind of really weird because you. Um, I had to sort of be, I, I developed this weird kind of um, uh, schizophrenic kind of relationship with everyone. Sort of like one minute I'd have to be part of the team. And sometimes I'd have to work quicker so I could get ahead that I could go and pick up my camera, photograph them and then join back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what was that space like to work in then? That home environment, a makeshift home in Antarctica? Oh. Where you were staying? Well... That was, yeah, well, it, I think the thing about that is it was, like, constantly transient. So I was on a ship for six weeks, then on one base, and then moved to another base. So I was moving around, so you're constantly meeting new people. And um, it was like a, uh, consistently having a first day at school meeting new people. But, yeah. And you're kind of also looking for common ground all the time because everyone's a scientist not an artist. I knew but we all had a badge on saying what we did and my badge said artist and all that did was clarify the fact that I was the only arty person for <laughs> thousands of miles. Did you find people just stared at it? Oh yeah, weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we went off the subject. No, we? that's really interesting and, and this idea of transience and movement while mm. making art it seems that it can sometimes be helpful because you don't have time to reflect so much to be stuck mm. in a rut. It can perhaps keep you moving. Yeah. Um, but Every you, day was an yeah. achievement in the Antarctic because yeah. you're in the Antarctic. You're sort of like you're always sort of um, yeah. Every day you had was brilliant because you were your achievement was just being there. Yeah. Yeah, you're <laughs> that obviously was... the face of tourism for the Antarctic. <laughs> wow. <Well. laughs> um, so when you sort of identified as an artist mm. for the first time, it sounds a bit like coming out. When you came out as an artist, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what was your living situation then? Uh, uh, oh, I lived in an, another. I rented a room in a house. Well, I started the studio. I had. I moved somewhere. Be, a, a really, really cheap studio came up in Colchester, and I moved there specifically to be near this cheap studio. And it was a ridiculously cheap studio. Do you remember which street it was on? Oh no, it was um, out in the middle of, uh, in the country. It was an old barn um, on the outskirts of Colchester, and it was like. Uh, I think we were. It was five pounds a week to rent this like big space, and um, it was just, yeah, five pound a week. And I think the guy, who, there was somebody already there, and they'd had to. I think the people who owned it, he had to. They had to get some more people in because the people who owned it had put the rent up to five pounds from one pound a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was good. But it was a bit lonely. There wasn't much conversation. Um, did you live there as well as work? No, no, then I, you know, yeah. having got the studio, then I found somewhere really cheap to live in town. And, um, yeah, uh, moved in with this guy. A uh, guy owned a house. It was just a two-up, two-down, you know, terraced house. He was looking for a lodger, but he was like a living landlord. And um, 
we got on really well in the end. He, really? He, For a living landlord, that's, that's a good statement. He was very, very laid back, this guy. Um, well, he, he, was, yeah, he was laid back. He started off by being um, quite abrupt, sort of like saying, I don't want you to do it. like laying down all the law. Yeah. And as soon as I moved in, he just sort of went, I don't care. Uh, fine. You <laughs> yeah. like the look of you. When I finally moved out, he went, um, keep your key, won't you? you know, when you're back in town, you always want somewhere to stay, won't you? You know you can always stay. <laughs> so it sounds like along with the ex-tutor mm. and his landlord, you've done pretty well in terms of finding genuine relationships yeah. that you can rely on mm. um, that help provide you with a good, a good yeah. way of living. Yeah. Yeah, a comfortable way of living. And I'm, I suppose that's partially down to personality. Um, yeah. But not all artists <laughs> might stumble on that. No. So what about your friends, like your peer group at, at college? Do you know how they made things work? Uh, they got dropped out and got jobs, mainly. Um, done the sensible thing, really. Um, you know, I know I've not gone into teaching. Yeah. Um, a lot of people got sensible jobs, got a mortgage, and then they've come back to art. Did they try and make it work for a while? Yeah, 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 but not for very long. What do you think the tipping point was? Oh, yeah, uh, just oh, various things, families, uh, you know, starting families, relationships, just finally wanted some money um, well the other one was like starting a part time job that's supposed to subsidise the art and then slowly over time oh, it kind of like takes over um, but I think one of the yeah, one of the other things that's happened recently is a lot of a lot of people would subsidise everything come by teaching part time maybe two days a week and a lot of places they've started asking people to come in for half days and that's basically you know that you Half day is not half day. That's like half half your day is travelling to get there. To get it's basically you lose a day and only get half the money. And a lot of places are doing that and like just okay. ruining it. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I suppose I can understand that a half day rate would be pointless. Yeah. yeah, but absolutely no good to anyone who's trying to. Because you know. the other thing is, they used to get, they used to get. Uh, part-time staff into teachers because to teach because you wanted their uh, first-hand experience to share with the students. That was yeah, the whole point of it. Sort of but now it's just experience. these, you know, despicable art colleges just trying to, you know, make cut corners. Basically, just get anybody in. They can get get basically what they want is they want you in <laughs> to teach full-time but pay you part-time. Of course. <laughs> and do you think that's been since? Um, I don't want to be too leading, but perhaps since the coalition or before the coalition? Uh, well, yeah, a lot. I wonder, yeah, I mean, this half-day business, that's happened in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, it is recently, yeah. And, and since you've been working professionally, have mm. you seen market changes with the changes of government in terms of how manageable it is to live independently or live away from home? Um, you don't meet many common people anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that's a yeah, really big yeah, and good yeah. statement. You yeah. know, no, I mean, I mean, even 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 as far as like postgraduate courses. So, so I did like an MA at the RCA, and um, 
you know, there was a smattering of people who grew up on a council estate. And then an old friend of mine from the RCA, I think she didn't like, she was getting, she had, she had a really good idea. She was getting these like MA students to her BA course to, for them to get experience, to give a lecture. And, um, and they were getting like input to their students. And she just said, yeah, they're all posh. <laughs> yeah, and I can relate to that as someone who oh. mainly works with scholarships to you know, go yeah. to certain institutions. I've largely been with much more privileged people. Um, mm. And I do see a lot of London-centric um, artists. And I suppose by that I mean... I find that friends and peers can be more prolific in their art if they live with families based in London. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's the centre of the universe in terms of mm. theatre. Right. Um, but it must be different for fine art and visual art. Well, it's interesting. It's kind of like... I think... Well, things are changing now because it's so difficult to get a studio and live in London. I mean, where I was before in Colchester... There, a lot of studios have kind of uprooted and come out, gone out to Colchester. Um, so London is a great place if you've already got lots of money, or you're making at least making artwork that you can sell. Um, once you go out of London, it's kind of quite. I mean, the thing is, because I don't make stuff to sell, it's in some ways it's good because you're you've got access to a bigger kind of um, funding pool because it's like a postcode where they need work, whereas in London it's actually quite much more difficult to get you know, funding for stuff. But if you want to actually make stuff and sell it, vlog it to people with money, obviously London's a bit better, isn't it? Do you have any um, funny... This is probably an annoying question. Do you have any funny anecdotes about um, making some quick money while you've been um, living in more difficult situations? Oh, make it right, yes. Wow. All my stories are about how rubbish I am at making money. So, um, for example, <laughs> okay, what can I say? There was one guy, like, one guy I've met. So quite often you kind of like you. Know, when I have been in a show and somebody's wanted to buy it, I kind of almost don't know how to react when somebody wants to buy the work. Because a lot of the time it's all about like a personal story, and I'm thinking, well, you're a complete stranger. How does this work how relate to you? To Why? This? Yeah, exactly. What's your background? Do you have your DNA? Are you going to look after this yeah. work? You know, it's really stupid, like relax relationship. Uh, and there was this guy who bought a couple of bits of work and uh, and I sort of like well I'd like to meet this guy who's going to buy the work and the gallery set this up and then I met the guy and at the end of the, end of the meeting the guy went you wanted to vet me didn't you <laughs> I went well probably anyway it turned out it was a really nice guy bought these pieces of work then he come back to me and bought another piece and after a while it, I started um, uh, I, he became quite friendly uh, he was like a Often when it's your mates who buy your work and the first thing that happens is you go, oh, I don't want to take your money. <laughs> oh, let me give you a discount. Well, let me give it to you for nothing. And like you... So it's quite good to have like an anonymous person you don't know that you can get as much money out as possible. So this guy was the only person I didn't know who was buying my work. Then slowly over time, I got to know him. <laughs> and <you laughs> <like to> <laughs> then I felt, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, from the beginning, I developed a conscience because I had to meet him, didn't I? But anyway. do you officially say you have a patron now? Well, no, I mean, we're okay. not talking big money. But the funny story was he went to me, then he said, uh, he said, I've got some money I'd like to invest. Actually, Because he said, I'm just buying your work. But he said, I'd actually like you to commission something from you. 
And I thought, oh, okay. So I thought, that's an interesting concept. I'm going to make a piece of work about some person I don't know that well. And um, after about four days of thinking about that, I thought, yes, a piece of art about someone I don't know. <laughs> I thought, that's called a portrait. <laughs> that was uh, seven years at art college, not wasted Excellent. there. <laughs> so then I went... Uh, but then I was there, so the money. He said he had 500 quid, so we're not talking like massive money. And um, to make it make conceptual sense, I said, right, this is the idea, yeah? And so I'm going to do a portrait of you. And he said, I don't... And he, he said, I don't want a sort of self-aggrandized thing, painting of my face. I went, no, it's going to be this big. It's going to be about an inch square. And it's going to be in a toy wheelbarrow coming out of the back of a security van. And... Um, and I said, and in the painting, I want you to hold the money. So, so I turned, I've got some cash out of the cash point, 500 quid. So what I want to do is um, uh, photograph you. This is what I'm going to make the portrait from. And I want you to fan out these 20s. <laughs> so you're giving me the money. It actually is in the painting. So fan out the 500 quid. And at which point he said, did I say 500 pounds? I thought it was only 400 pounds. And I just immediately took the money back out of his hand. Took out five twenties, put them in my pocket, and said, "Fan out the four hundred quid." <laughs> I just threw away hundred pounds just like that. Yeah, yeah. And Good I got improvisation, though. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of stories That's like that. Be- that. Well, I wonder if they could top that. That's an excellent uh, anecdote. As anecdotes go, I'm quite self-reflexive. Actually, you can take that on many it? levels. <laughs> but um, I've got shorter ones. <laughs> Just wondering about this jigsaw of how to put different jobs together. I wonder if you have any examples of where you've juggled maybe two or three gigs or jobs or commitments. Um, yeah, well... I was, you don't have to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, juggling... Um, yeah, so well, I'm always juggling. It's always like teaching, teaching, performing, making stuff all at the same time. Um, Have you ever done anything sort of way outside of those realms? Like oh, years ago. So yeah. my brother's a bricklayer. So I used to be my brother's hod carrier when I was younger. Um, uh, Have you ever attempted the office situation? No, no. I don't have the skills. I don't think. I, I think just people just take one look at me. I, I think being a bit fascistic probably goes down well in office. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's bad. Anyway. But I tell you, I work with I, we, I work with our associate Paul. You know, that was that was the <laughs> that was the funniest thing because he menagerie Paul. Menagerie Paul, yeah. So Paul approached me after he met me in Edinburgh and said that we can work together. And that was when I thought, oh, great, what, work in the theatre? Of course, Paul said, no, 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 definitely not. (laughs) No, no, I do this other thing where we do management training. And I sort of went, "Uh, right, don't know anything about management, don't know anything about business, sorry, I'm the wrong person. He went, no, no, that's the point. He said, I work with these very high-flying companies. Um, They know all about business, yeah. He said, um, they don't need someone coming in to give them a sophisticated business model because they know that stuff. He said, what we need to do is someone who's going to come in there and uh, make them think differently. Um, You, being unsophisticated (laughs) and knowing nothing about you're going to slip in under the radar. Just talk about what you normally do. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so I went in. The first talk I had to do, I don't know, some insurance company or whatever it was. 
and Paul introduces me. So, so Paul sometimes he's got like uh, actors and they'll do role play. Yeah. Sometimes he'll have a samba drumming instructor and they'll do like uh, teach the people in the bank about energy. And then sometimes <laughs> he'll go in with me. And he said, and I was there for the workshop uh, reevaluating success. Yeah. So uh, Paul introduces me as, oh, this is Chris, everyone. He's an artist. He's going to give us a talk. And I go, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, uh, and he's going to be the case study for today's workshop, Reevaluating Success. Because as well as being an artist, he's also, more importantly, a failure. Take it away, Chris. <laughs> case study in guinea pigs. Yeah, but the thing is, like, yeah, you paid quite well. And I, I was doing that for years with Paul. And this is a really sensitive question. Yeah. But have you ever been in that situation where you've genuinely worried whether you can cover all of your overheads? Um, uh, yeah, all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. How do you manage that? Because I'm sure a lot of artists, again, will not necessarily admit to being in that situation, but it must be quite common. And Just luck. I mean, yeah. the, for the last ten years, we're quite good. But since I got back from the Antarctic, that kind of like that made it's a good me. <laughs> yeah, that gave me that gave me a step up, um, and I made a lot more contacts, and my profile was a bit better after that. Yeah. And I just bumbled from one project to yeah, another. Yeah, so happy bumbling. Happy bumbling. And but that all. But the annoying thing was, I had uh, when I had to move out of my last place. I had loads of work lined up, and um, so it took me a couple of months to move out, shift the stuff, find places to hide work, and you know build more, come more, like do my dad's shed so I can get some stuff in it. And I was just about to go back to pick up this sort of trail of work that I'd lined up, and just by coincidence, it was all like all fell away at the last minute. So it was like, oh, we didn't get the funding, and oh, we're not going to do that anymore. Those so words, was, we didn't get the funding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit of a double double whammy, really. It was kind of like, yeah, back in my mum's, and then back all the, in the womb. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you managing sharing that space with your mum? How old is your mum? Eighty-eight. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the other thing was uh, she was quite seriously ill about a year ago. So I kind of the other thing was like it got in my head. I thought, oh yeah, well I can look after my mum. And the first sort of um, problem is there's a, a bit of a disagreement about who's looking after who. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes back to that idea of being a child again, I suppose. Oh, yeah. and do you feel like you're put in that position where you're made to feel like a child again? Um, yeah, probably. Well, what's that? I think we. Made the strong word. Yeah. Well, I think the problem I keep having. Well, there's two. Yeah. Well, one of the problems is um, <laughs> when I moved back, my mum said, uh, "Well, I've converted your um, childhood bedroom into a second kitchen, so you could do your own cooking." And you sort of think, "Oh, okay. So at least I've got my own space." Um, so she insists that I have my own space, and then can't stop interfering <laughs> with the space so do you have a key to your own space no exactly so she'll just sort of come in and say why have you done that she sort of tends to want her cake and eat it in a way you know you want your independence but I'm going to interfere that's what I have sounds like parenthood exactly yeah and then the other frustrating thing was I noticed uh, so I sort of like watch the, watch the television with her every now and again um, she likes to listen to the news She'll be watching some sort of, you know, any questions or something like that. Somebody will be saying something quite important or complicated about Brexit, for example. 
and uh, after the first sentence, my mum will go, well, there you are, you see, and she'll start sort of commenting on this. <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy's still talking, given the details, of, and I think, and mum, I want to listen to the man that knows, rather than you're talking over him. And then I suddenly realised that the country is full of these people who aren't listening to the details. But very busy explaining yeah. to others, perhaps. OK. Yeah. So that's kind of like a double whammy. It was kind of like... Um, it was this horrible realisation, I'm living with my mum and the country is full of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a personal question, have you ever tried doing art while living with a partner? Yeah, yeah. No, that was... Yeah, no, I've... I've yeah, I've had it in my last. So my partner, um, yeah. So my partner, who I lived with for the last sort of six years, she then got like a, she was living the same sort of lifestyle as me, sort of uh, hand to mouth. No, <laughs> she wanted a proper job, and uh, she's got a proper job, which meant she's had to move to Bath. So, so now we don't see much of it. We see each other every other weekend, and. Since I've had to move with my mum, obviously it's not quite the same as her coming to visit me because we have to. It's me and my girlfriend and my mum, and her landlady. Oh God, her landlady's kind of like this. Lives in a, forty like a really expensive house, and essentially they're. You know, this Is it Norma Desmond? <laughs> no, Is no. It? <laughs> no. It's like some kind of faded, you know, grandiose. No, starring. no. It's just someone who's got lots of money, in an expensive <laughs> house, and then. Um, Really, they want, what they wanted was a house sitter. And the thing is, you pay oh, money for okay. a house sitter. She's not there for free. She's paying. She's um, yeah. And then they got in another lodge. I don't think these people don't even need need the money. They just, you know, wanted this. Now they've sort of. Now their house is full of people. Yeah. And they don't like it. You sort of think, well, <laughs> don't rent out your house. <laughs> so you get that. You get that a lot. You get people who, you know. Happen to have a, I mean, you know, if you bought at the right time and had a, you know, reasonable job at a certain time, you can own a house, you can rent out, and there'll be someone desperate to move in your house. And I think a lot of people want the, it, the power goes to their head. You kind of like they, you, I've mean, I've heard so many landladies forget that they're the, so, so, so they, um, you get land, you get landlords and landladies who sort of yes. like uh, they want the money and they want, but they don't want you in the house or they yeah. want you, or any, the normal things that go with someone yeah. in their house, yeah. And then so they'll change their mind and go, well, I don't want you living here, and it's your fault. And you sort of think well, you can't. <laughs> you're a landlord. You're not God. You know, you can't sort of like. There's one. If you own the house, you hold all the cards. Yeah. Someone, if you, you you hold the cards. If you want the person in the house, right? You can uh, have them in the house. If you don't want them, you can kick them out as well. What you can't do is then also make it their fault. Present <laughs> the fact that they're there using yeah. your things in your house, and then house. kick them out and say, "Well, yeah. it's no, it's not my fault." I have a very the, yeah. um, short anecdote to share because this on. isn't about my awful experiences, of which I have many. But not so much landlady, but a fraudulent landlady oh, who posed as a landlady in Cambridge. Oh, um, so Cambridge. she was on a huge power trip. Um, and yes, she actually physically threatened me. And at oh that point, God. I phoned the estate agent. <laughs> so um, there's a budding radio play in that, I think. And do you have siblings? I haven't yeah, really older asked. brother. Yeah, yeah he's got loads of money. He's a builder, my brother. Uh, okay. yeah, so my family's rather marvelous. My brother went in Brickland, now he's got his own sort of building company, he's done very well. 
Okay. And do you think he's used your life as a, a sort of um, a milestone or, or a sort of benchmark? <laughs> if, it, if my life is a benchmark, he's got very low goals. <laughs> Um, I think that was actually that was one of the mistakes I probably made as well because I used to you know, we were talking earlier about sometimes you sort of dip in and out of the unemployment benefit because you haven't got any work you know and I was sort of there was a period where I was measuring my success on how long it had been since I'd had to sign on unemployment benefit and then I, after doing that having that benchmark for several years I remember thinking that's not a very good goal to set. Do you remember how many times you've had to? You don't have to say. Oh yeah. I mean, in the 90s, yeah, lots of times. I can't remember. It's too many to even remember. Yeah, yeah. And do you think, because I've had experience of this too, um, and wildly different experiences of the coaches, um, and how have you found some of them? The coaches? Oh, oh. Yeah, the work search. That's a a term. Is that a new term? Yeah, because it's been so long since I've had a song that they benefit. I don't, I'm not actually, I don't even know that phrase. Oh, look at Were me. they convivial back in the day? No, uh, it was just routine. A bit, but in, the, in them days, it was just yeah. It was the back to work plan. You had to fill out. A, the last time I did it was the one when you had to fill out a form to say what you'd done to find work. You just to make up any old. But, oh, really? They yeah. weren't militant yeah. about it. They didn't want proof. No, this is what I'm saying. It's yeah. changed a lot yeah. since then. I haven't actually experienced it recently, but I know it's not. Not as easy go as it used to be. Because I think in those days it was sort of like, uh, it was also, well, you know, well, you're not going to put me on the street. And these days I think that's the big difference. They could quite happily put you on the street street. and not give a shit. And it's interesting how the universal um, credits, Mm. um, I think the allowance has changed Mm. even in the past six months. Right. Um, I think the audience. uh, I think the government had to act on the outcry didn't they, earlier in the year. Yeah. So I imagine. Um, the I think the bottom line is. I think well. the. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is they they want. I mean, do you remember? I mean, in the in the nineteen you know eighties, it was all about you know there was like first I don't time we had, the 1980s, well sorry. in the nineteen <laughs> in the nineteen eighties there was mass unemployment because yeah. of Margaret Thatcher changed the whole sort of structure of the country ended what we used to call the post-war consensus where it was the government's responsibility to look after the people and um, and what people slowly realised was that actually they wanted this like huge um, group of unemployed people because that that was a stick to beat anyone who would complain about their job we don't want to end up there and in the same way now having this kind of like um, it works in the the government although well, they won't say this it works in their favour to have these people to point out in the street who are at rock bottom so if you're not on rock bottom you've got you've got a benchmark yeah. it's not it's not in their interests to bring people in off the street yeah this lot are evil <laughs> And um, as we move towards the general election, mm. <laughs> how do you think the artistic community are going to vote? Do you think they'll wave more towards the green side and the Labour side? What with a more radical manifesto, perhaps people might not think it's as realistic. Uh, God. I don't know, what have your mates been saying? What have your artist mates been saying? They've been saying... Let's vote Labour, but they, they're <laughs> not going to. But they're not going to get in. Is what they're oh, saying, okay. yeah. Because it is, you know, um, you know, four-day week, 
I mean, that's an interesting one. If you're an artist, you know, you work seven days a week. Mm. If you're doing it properly. Um, I think Welcome week. Collection have moved to that, or about to move to right. four day week. Okay, yeah. interesting. But the thing is, it's like, I just know, you know, Joe Blogs isn't going to... They look at that and actually sort of think, that's, that's crazy, is what they think. It's not going to... No, I don't think people are going to... It puts people off. I think I think a lot of people that that makes them see. You know, my brother, the builder, he's always a good litmus paper of the. That was what I found astounding. Like he, my brother, um, never been interested in his politics his entire life. I don't think he even voted until about the last election. Um, and I actually saw him get angry about Jeremy Corbyn the other day, which was amazing. It was like he'd been radicalised, you know. And I think because he's. <laughs> taken up golf recently I think he's been radicalised by a sell at the golf club <laughs> <laughs> I might ring the police the irony <laughs> all those men in bad jumpers yeah. but it's things like the so you know it's things like you know four day week he's sort of saying that's just going to bankrupt the country that's fright- that frightens a great big section of people um, yeah they won't get in but I'll, I'm going to vote Labour. Yeah. Was this um, sort of union between the Greens and Lib Dem and the Welsh party <sighs> yeah We'll see if that works out. Um, do you know any artists with families who have made it work with continuing with their artistic practice? Um, what, like so, me, you mean? So, well, oh, we've, oh, we've with, got children. Yeah, oh, right, so young yeah, families, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah a friend, I think I mentioned earlier, like a friend who sort of like, yeah, had a sensible job, had a mortgage, and then had a family, and the, yeah, actually the children are now off to university, and they so I wonder if there's a relationship between the point in time where you have children and the point in time where you start committing more, obviously, mm. commit more to normal work. I can't think of any, I can think of a few examples of people who have um, consistently plugged away at their, yeah. their practice after having children, but they've been in partnerships. Yeah. They certainly haven't been single parents. No, no. I, I can't even begin to imagine how that would work. I wonder if it ever does work. Yeah. And that might be something interesting to look into. I think... But there's artists and they're artists. If you're kind of like an artist who churns out, churns something out and it sells for a certain amount of money once you stick it in an art gallery, it's kind of... You're like a mini it's factory, a aren't level, you? Yeah. It's not the kind of... Um, see, my background is all... I'm more idealistic, where it's almost... Sometimes I describe what artists like me do is more like visual philosophy where you're a lot of the time you're actually kind of analysing and analysing why it is you're doing it and then throw it all away because you've got some other chain of it's not about making money it's not about making product you know and um, <coughs> do you sense, think yeah. um, living by one's values is to live um with little means. <laughs> Do you think one thing has to necessarily Not um, follow choice, from the no. other? Yeah, I think it's looking that way. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I guess so. And the Arts Council grants, mm. the Arts Council England grants. That's been a massive thing for me. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's what got me off of the unemployment. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I can honestly say that. Yeah, that's been absolutely huge. Arts Council have been really nice to me. I know nowadays you, do, you, know, you never meet your Arts Council officer. It's kind of a bit of... Um, but I, well, I, I harass them right, on a regular yeah. basis. <laughs> but, yeah. 
your kind of booth. Well, you do it all online, don't you? Don't, yeah. Anyway, they've been. I don't know, but they've been yeah, been brilliant for me. Do you think the Arts Council project grants, they're now called project grants, okay. do you think they often form the main part of a person's income? Um, or just a piecemeal part? I've often wondered well, to what form degree the main people, part for yeah, me. <laughs> yeah? yeah? But it's not, yeah. But I, I live incredibly frugally, or I was living incredibly yeah. frugally, yeah. yeah. So... So when they sort of go, oh, because I think when you're filling out that grant, you have to, I think is it £200 a day you're supposed to pay yourself? When you do the budget, when you do the budget, yeah. I can't remember I, exactly. There are different rates for different unions. But right, yeah. yeah. So whatever the thing is, that's how many mm-hmm. days you're going to spend on this at this amount of money per day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I always sort of fill that out religiously, knowing full well that what it will end up being is sort of like <laughs> £20 a day. Yeah. <laughs> you stretch those. And stops. then the contingency sort of disappears. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, because you want to see the project done, don't you, at the end of the day? That's the thing. Yeah, and, um, yeah with the best outcome possible. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. I can't think of anything else to talk about, really, mm. other than other people's assumptions of, of how you live and... Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sort of I, just, I just sort of, yeah. quite a funny, ironic anecdote. I'm not sure if this answers your question, but I think it's quite funny to put on the end. Is I was doing, so a couple of years ago, I actually got like a really decent um, commission. I was part of the whole city of culture. Yeah. And I um, uh, got a commission up there. And it was outside this huge, um, the aquarium they have in half. Uh, Didn't know Hull was famed for its aquarium. Yeah, or submarian they call it. So it's like, yeah, they were my partners. It was like um, one of those moments you sort of like it was proper money, uh, and I thought, oh my career has turned the corner. <laughs> my career has turned the corner. Um, and then the yeah, what they, where they wanted me to do this thing was basically the car park of the. Well, that's quite funny. They took. They took oh, you the ra- weren't in with the fish. Well, this is it. No, I can't. I got the tour. The ra- like I got the, the, t- the tour around the multi-million-pound uh, building, and at the end of the tour, we was got edging towards the door, and they went. So the thing about the uh, city of culture thing is that all the projects have to be free at the point of access to the public, and obviously you have to pay <laughs> twelve pounds to come in here. So whatever you do, you can't do it in here. And then he opens the door and said, "We thought you could do something in the car park." And it was like, the "Bye." The next thing I knew, I was like standing in this windswept car park in Hull. Yeah, they air dumped you into a car park. Yeah, oh great. But then I, and I still thought, oh, that's, that's interesting, that's interesting. Yeah, I could do that. And then I went through this kind of. Um, oh, in, the, in the end, I ended up making these things in cars. It was this washed up cargo, what it was called. So we got three cars, and each car had a beach inside it. And then this uh, uh, film played from a toy car onto this object on the beach. Um, and I thought, well, the first thing that was uncomfortable about it is Hull had a massive, uh, had a massive homelessness issue as well. And a lot of the homeless in Hull will congregate around the back of the submarium because it's an outlet for the pool uh, ventilation system that blows out hot, hair, hot air. So this car park is all... There's always sort of homeless people milling around there. And you're sort of thinking, yeah, what they really need is some contemporary art. <laughs> so I sort of like racked with guilt. I thought, well, oh, could we, because I sort of thought, we get, you can pick up cars relatively cheaply. And I thought, rather than just getting a dump car, let's get a 
car that works will do this thing aside and make it a temporary thing so that when the project's over we'll dismantle it all uh, put the steering wheels back on we have to take the steering wheel off and then we kind of like we're not going to put that money back in the budget and we could sell the cars on and that's just that's purely tokenistic I said well the money we make sustainability there yeah exactly and we'll, and we'll put that money we make from the cars we'll give it to the homeless shelter yeah, yeah. Oh, how I wonder if you're going to say we'll make a homeless shelter yeah. out of the car. Well, anyway, so at the end of that, we got a few hundred quid, you know, about 800 quid or something. Um, and it was, uh, so I was, you know, uh, in my head, I was at the peak of my career. And now I'm even being generous. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I think I got home to this place that I rented and, um, yeah, noticed my landlord wasn't looking very well. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that was when he first got uh, the first stage of cancer. So then he took... Um, I think it was initially he was going to move out while he was ill and somewhere, but he ended up staying there until he died, and then I had to move out. But what I'm getting at was basically one week I was um, donating all of this money to the homeless charity. It was literally weeks later I was that one step away from being homeless myself. Yeah, I was the fucking homeless. <laughs> And do you know um, yeah. many fellow artists who have found themselves on the street? I think I know of one friend who was homeless. God, no. Not yet. No. <laughs> There's plenty of time. Yeah. There's always sofa floating as well, which is that strange yeah. um, limbo purgatory between situations. I suppose yeah. lots of people have done. Yeah. Well, that kind of is... That is almost like living with your mother, isn't it? Can we talk a little bit about the Edinburgh Festival? Yeah, go on. Just because it always amazes me how people um, manage to make it sort of work on a shoestring um, and how people live there. Because mm. it's often people are there for the whole month. Aren't yeah, they? so I was really lucky when I went to Edinburgh because I think I've been there, th- yeah, I've been there three times now. And although it is primarily full of people who've remortgaged their house to put on their wow. show, yeah, yeah. I, Do you I, know that story particularly? Yeah. Not first hand, but, but I, I, I'm, it's not hypocritical. It's, it's, it's definitely, like, it happens. And these are always, and quite often, you know... I don't, to be honest, I don't think Edinburgh's that good. It's, it's no, you can't just rock up in Edinburgh and do a show and expect it to be discovered because it's so big. Yeah, it's almost like lots of mini shows. All the producers who go up there have a list of people that they know already that they're going to go and see, and it's just convenient that they're in one place. Nobody's sort of like nobody's got a hole in their timetable. They're just going to randomly see something that they've never heard of before. Been hugely promoted. Exactly. Yeah. So it's ridiculous. So it's quite often these poor people are quite deluded as well. But when I went up there, it, I went with um, East to Escalator. So it was, oh, yeah. yeah, so Escalator, Escalator East, yeah. Uh, Anthony Roberts, you know Anthony Roberts? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. the first time I went up there was Anthony took this bus up there. And that was a great thing because it really um, kick-started the careers of, like, you know, definitely over five artists that I can think of in East Anglia, the southeast region, they all did East to Escalator. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I don't know how many artists went through that scheme. I don't know, I but... I think of a whole generation who yeah, benefited from it yeah, hugely. Yeah, yeah. And, well, basically, they, it was all... I think even the way Anthony phrased it to me, because well, he said, do you want to... Because I applied to be on this bus, and then um, he went, yeah, got your application, you're not going. You're not, <laughs> you're not on the bus. You're not on the bus. Life oh, over. You didn't go. catch the bus, you missed yeah, it. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not. Missed the bus. Missed the bus. And then he kind of, like, relented, because he was my mentor for something. Yeah, he was my mentor, so I had to do a gig at the Arts Centre in Colchester. And uh, anyway, all my mates turned up. 
and um, yeah, we had a great time. It was a great hit. And he kind of like Anthony. <laughs> but it was the way he phrased that he said, "Yeah." So, okay. So um, the thing about Edinburgh is full of deluded people who think they're interesting or funny. But um, <laughs> our remit, we they, they remit, yeah. We don't have to because it's on a bus. We don't actually have to pay for the venue because it's our venue. It's the bus and. Uh, our remit is to sort of challenge those um, preconceptions of what Edinburgh can, can be. So you can be as deluded as you like, Chris. You're on the bus. No indication that you're deluded, then. <laughs> yeah. And how, how did the shows go down, then, once you were on the bus? Once um, you made it? Once I made it on the bus? Uh, it was... We, well, we kind of, like... Looking back on it, I can't believe we got away. <laughs> because it was a two-hour... My show was a two-hour show. Yeah, ridiculous, was that? Oh, you going to say it was a double-decker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even use upstairs. Yeah. Two-hour show. Sorry. Um, with an interval. And then, yeah, maximum audience was about uh, 19, I think. But we didn't even feel that. Sometimes it was like, you know, half a dozen people, as you can imagine. And but I that's think great that you sustain that throughout. Because two hours is a long time mm. for an Edinburgh show or even a festival show of any Way kind. Way too so. long. Yeah, I know. But we got away. Yeah, but in the end it was kind of like, yeah. Then we ended up getting them. There was the... Uh, Guardian had the bit of the pick of the day. There was four favourite shows of Edinburgh. We got, and I got in there, uh, number four. <laughs> but it was like right at the end of Edinburgh. I feel like you should have had a medal. We sold, yeah, well, because just uh, na- uh, laminated it and wore it as a little bag. Yeah. <laughs> My review in the garden. No, they, um, yeah, so we yeah, sold out yeah, all 19 seats on the last two days. On the bus. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. I think that's kind of it really I'm sure there's do... loads more but yeah. in terms of how artists live and survive mm. I think I've got a pretty vivid picture from yeah. you <laughs> in, your, in your world um, but how do you see the future um, God, you know. making art still in your family home yeah so I've got a friend who's also lending me his studio um, oh ok um, uh, also you sharing got... it no, it's his studio. He's got a job. Uh, he had a job over the summer working in Stoke at the Ceramics Biennale. And he just sort of, I mean, he, we work together sometimes. And he just said, like, have my studio while I'm away. So that's been a great help. Um, and then uh, they're talking about there's an there's a empty shipping container at the studio. So they're kind of like, off, they're kind of half offered that to me at the moment. So to make art with. To make art with. Oh, in. Okay. In, yeah. Yeah, in. <laughs> I just have a friend who lived in one of those. It was quite serviceable. Oh, yeah, some of them are quite swish, aren't they? I've done... Oh, right, well, I've done a, a residency in a shipping container a few years ago in, in Holland as well. And, uh, yeah, a couple of summers ago, there was also a... Uh, there's an art gallery in Somerset, and, you know, I put on a show there as well. In shipping containers. So maybe the future of artists living and working is shipping containers. You know. mm, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think. How you make what? it work. How do you make it you work? And how you live. Um, do you think there's a certain attitude that I'm one, really benefits? I, what I do, I don't know whether this is a good advice or bad advice, what I do is I'll do, I get people offer me work and I'll always do that quite often it's not even very well paid but I always weigh it up 
it's sort of like it's there on the table. It's a lot easier to do that than the the thing that you spend a long time applying for and then at the end of it not getting. So I'm wondering, not even sure that what I'm saying is I'm not sure that was. I might. I'm actually torn with the idea of turning stuff down that's offered to me to sit down and apply for something that's a bit better. But time-consuming, though, isn't it? And constantly weighing up the yeah. investment of time and energy with with reward, as you say. Yeah. And these residences that you see. And then you also get the kind of rejection when you don't yeah. get it. You know, sort of, that's quite. Uh, you lose a lot of motivation. I've How noticed. much time do you think you've spent in the past applying for residencies and things like that? What well, not getting it? Possibly, <laughs> I mean, or getting it. Um, well, would it be part of your week? Or do you sit down, you know, maybe one day a week? Uh, I should do, but I don't. No, yeah. no. I find it one. I find it quite difficult to swap between one thing and another. So different headspaces. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That so strategic sort of applying for funds head and the creative head require different days. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I have to be in a mood. Yeah. I think I. I think I think for me personally, make a, put an application together is a, a creative process in itself. You know, obviously with art, you also you got to put in the pictures and you know your proposal, writing a little story, aren't you? And yeah, I find that very difficult to do that and then I don't know, make something at the same time. It's not. No, I have to be in that mood. How do you think the Arts Council um, could potentially support artists? Yeah. Sustainably, that's uh, a huge question. Oh, the other thing I didn't, you know, I work with arts admin, that's the other thing I didn't mention. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, now it, I have someone else do the arts council application. So, oh, really? Yeah, so they're so the main producer, are they? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Should have said that earlier on. Yeah, They'll probably be, if they ever heard this, you'd be really annoyed that I didn't mention it earlier. Arts admin, <laughs> yeah, wave thanks. the flag. So is it one specific producer that you work with, or is it an organisation? Yeah, uh, yeah Cat Harrison is my producer. Sounds such a grand term. It's basically she just sits me, sits down at a table like this, and tells me I'm shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're shit today because. Hmm, not done that, have you? Yeah. She's like 20 years younger than me as well. Just loves to put me in my place. That's rubbish. Yeah. Nah, she's lovely. Cool. And what do you think the government and the Arts Council could do with mm. the next, um, next election coming up? Do you think they could do anything to help artists live sustainably in a way that actually benefits other people? I don't know what else they can do. Really. I mean, like I said earlier, they've been really good to me. You know, I think they've got it right, to be honest. I mean, it'd be lovely to, for there to be more money. Because um, I mean, you sort of think about it, a lot of the stuff is like... Um, uh, so for the book, when I wrote, a, I said I mentioned I wrote a book, didn't I? For that, see that was Arts Council subsidy, subsidised as well. And with that, they, the way we got the money was to explain that if we had Arts Council funding, we could sell the book cheaper. It's all about making the work accessible. Yeah. So it wasn't sort of like, oh, pay me more money to write a book. It was. It was a 40 quid book that because it was subsidised we could sell for £25. So it didn't make me richer, it made the work more accessible. And I think that's a really good. Yeah. And obviously with Arts Admin, yeah. a lot of the stuff they do is sort of socially engaged work. So I think that's what I was trying to sort of. That was a phrase I should have used earlier when I was talking about in London it's quite good to sort of like, yeah, make, make money selling artwork to rich people. But if you go further out, there's a lot more opportunities for funding for socially engaged stuff, yeah. 
I wonder if um, there'll ever come a point in time where there's sort of a yearly stipend from the Arts Council. To wow, they used to do that. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? That was what they used to do in Holland. Did you know about this story? No, this is, it makes uh, sense. This was in the 1990s. Now, I, met, I met an English guy who studied in Holland and did that. It was um, so. Oh, I can't remember. It was sometime in the 90s. Um, the government gave you a grant as soon as you graduated from art college to make art, and. The, the only other uh, stipulation was that you also had to um, donate a piece of art to the government. Yeah. And they did this, I think it was more, than, we did it for several years, until eventually the government had warehouses full of this shit art. <laughs> the national collection. <laughs> That's a collection of shit art, yeah. <laughs> but then they did another fantastic thing, because uh, I, I got this uh, really good Dutch friend who's a photographer, and he was given a um, commission to document the artwork uh, because what happened was when they said no more artwork, we're going to stop this thing, they had warehouses full of stuff and they didn't know what to do with it. But what they did was they come up with a scheme where you could go and um, anyone could go and hire the artwork on a sort of like a monthly basis. They just have it above their mantelpiece. Yeah, or in their, whatever. And um, so they were, you know. And the question was, who are who are these people that go and hire? <laughs> and my friend, my photographer friend's job was to go and who are these people? He basically, he was commissioned to go around these people's houses and photograph these people and their sometimes ridiculous piece of art that they'd hire. So it would be like a photograph of someone sitting in their flat with this like ten by eight stretched canvas in a luminous yeah, thing yeah. <laughs> that barely fitted in the room. <laughs> and of course, this was the era before selfies, so they couldn't exploit that. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Um, of course, now we have the art lending library. Oh, uh, okay. I think that's where it came from originally. Uh, okay. The Holland they yeah. instigated it. So maybe we can persuade the Dutch government to support some sort of exchange where British <laughs> artists have the stipends. They can have some of that shit up. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Chris. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of bases, haven't we? So yeah. we'll leave it there for now. Okay. Any, any last words? What, uh, any last words to yeah. an aspiring artist thinking about how to make their lives work? Oh, God. Yeah, don't. Yeah, somebody said to me yesterday, how long did it take you to be an artist? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I when thought, did you pop out? Yeah, exactly. Also, it was like, what? what? So, uh, am I somewhere now? <laughs> um, or how do I. Yeah, it's kind of like don't. It's an old phrase now, but it's but don't do it because you uh, want to. You do it because you have to. So yeah. I think, yeah. um, I think it's. I think there's something they say to actors as well. Is they um, the first thing that they'll say when you graduate from drama, drama school, school is that if there's anything, anything else you can else do, 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 do that first. Yeah. Or you can even see yourself do yeah. do that first. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's how it should be, really. Yeah. So, yeah. So, work in progress then. Yeah. Work in progress. Thank you, Chris. Thanks very much. <laughs>